You're listening to the Journey to Launch podcast, how to achieve flexible financial independence and create your ideal life with Jillian John Schrude. Welcome to the Journey to Launch podcast with your host, Jamila Souffrant. As a money expert who walks her talk, she helps brave journeyers like you get out of debt, save, invest, and build real wealth. Join her on the journey to launch to financial freedom in, in five, four, three, two, one. Hey, 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 journeyers. Really excited to bring you this conversation with Jillian John Trude of Montana Money Adventures. Here's why I'm excited to talk to Jillian. So Jillian, by the age of 32, paid off $55,000 of debt with her husband, lived abroad for four years and traveled to 27 countries and adopted four kids, paid cash for their homes and became financially independent. Like seriously, we need to know what Jillian did. So that's why I have her on the show. Let's talk more about that. Before we get into the amazing content, just want to say thank you so much for joining me. You know, I love when you guys are listening, sharing the content, and then letting me know how you feel about it. Because that allows me to know that I am delivering the things that you want to hear. So as you usually do, let me know what you feel about the episode. Screenshot that you're listening, tag me on social media. I'm at Journey to Launch on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Let me know what you think and also share it with your family and friends. This is how we get the episode more out there and how we get more journeyers on the journey. Now, let's talk a little bit about what I'm going to talk about with Jillian this episode. We're going to talk about what financial independence means for her and flashpoints. So she developed this idea of flashpoints and how she uses it to look at where she is on her journey and how it prompted her to figure out like she wanted a better life. And so maybe you can also relate to this flashpoint idea. Also, how to create your ideal life. What does that look like? How to be flexible on this path? And then, of course, just the technical stuff, like how did she pay off all that debt? How did she buy her home in all cash? All the things we're going to talk about. If you're listening to this in Apple podcast, please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. That's that purple app on your phone. But if you don't listen in Apple podcast, totally fine. I appreciate you listening. Just continue to share this with family and friends. And if you want any of the episode show notes for this episode, this is episode 96. Go to journeytolaunch.com slash episode 96. Now let's get into this amazing conversation with Jillian. Hey, journeyers, I'm excited to have this conversation with you, with Jillian, our guest today. I feel like we're just going to talk, Jillian. The journeyers are just going to be listening in, but just reading your blog and being a fan of your work in general, I know that this will be a very impactful interview. I'm claiming it. I'm saying it up front. So I hope that's not too much pressure for you. But Jillian, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for coming. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited. Yeah, Jillian, I'm excited to talk about your story because reading through a lot of your posts on MontanaMoneyAdventures.com about your story, which you said it before we started recording, it's so much has been packed in like in your like years of life. You're how old? 36. I just turned 36 like last week. I'm so excited. Happy belated birthday. Well, by the time this airs, it'll be a little bit later than that. But in general, like you'll hear as we talk through her story, everyone, what you've been able to accomplish, what you've been through, which has been a lot to get to where you are. So Jillian, 
can you just like give a quick snapshot of where you currently live, how many children you have, because you have, you know, a lot of children and what you're currently doing right now. Yes. With your life, like finances. <laughs> with our life and finances. Yeah. Right now we live in Montana. I grew up in Montana. We live right by Glacier National Park, which is really beautiful. I'm married to my husband, Adam. We've been married 16 years. I got married at the ripe old age for those who are doing the math of 19 And we have five kids at home. Our youngest just turned three and our oldest is 11. So it's like kind of we're in the busy years. I hate to say that word, but oh, it's the truth. (laughs) Oh, I totally get it. I get it because I feel the same way. And so what's amazing about your story is that you've been able to accomplish so much with your life and finances, you and your husband, like you bought your house cash, you run your blog, um, which gives not just like finance tips, but like life tips on like how to live your best life on this journey to financial independence. You reached like a point in your finances where you were able to both of you walk away from your jobs and live this life that's so intentional. And so I want to talk about like how you were able to even do that, because that's what a lot of us are on the path to doing or want to do. So if we can go back to Jillian at when she was 19, when you just got married, Yeah. Did you envision like this life? Did you know this is what you wanted to do? Or did you slowly work yourself up to knowing what this financial freedom life was about? There were a couple of things that we were really passionate about. One was adoption. We've adopted four kids from foster care. And it was a first date question. Like on my very first date with my husband, I was like, hey, so how do you feel about adoption? And the sweet, sweet man was like, oh, I love adoption. I think that's great. Like, I'm not even sure if, you know, biological kids, totally optional. And I was like, that's fantastic. So how would you feel about adoption from foster care? And he was like, no, I love that idea. Like my parents actually became foster parents after we left the house. And I was like, check. Okay, you get a second date. So we were really passionate about that. And I really wanted to travel I really wanted to to own a home. I just thought that there was so much security and safety in that, especially when I was 19. I had grown up in kind of a tumultuous childhood. We had grown up under the poverty line. And I just really had this moment where I felt like, wow, money gives you options. Money gives you freedom. And I just didn't want to feel all of those limitations that I had felt growing up. I wanted to have options and freedom and safety and security and growing our financial freedom seemed like a great way to start. And so you knew that pretty young at like 19. And I mean, before that, in one of your posts, you talk about your FI flashpoint, which I want to get into because you had that realization really young that so the financial independence flashpoint for you, meaning and you can explain it happened so young where you knew, like you said, you wanted money so you can have options and not necessarily like an exorbitant amount. Mm -hmm. You wanted to be like a millionaire and it's okay if you did, that's fine. But it seems like to me in your telling of your story, it was more like, I just want options to be able to get myself and my family out of this bad situation that you were in as a young girl, right? Yeah. Yeah. My mom's second marriage had, had gone downhill and our home environment was just really difficult. And I went to her when I was about 11 and I said, mom, we gotta, we gotta leave. We can't live here. We can't live this way. Like there's little apartments above the grocery store. They're like 150 bucks a month. Like we can do this. Like we just have, we just can't be here anymore. 
she was just such a prudent and reasonable woman. You know, I was the oldest of three and she was like, Jillian, we can't like, we don't have the money. We don't have the options. We have to stay here. And I went upstairs and I just cried hot tears into my bed. And I thought, shoot, you know what? Money gives you options. It gives you options. And I didn't feel like I had a lot of options. I think that's really common in in poverty. You just feel like you don't have any options. You don't have any say. You don't have any choices. And everyone around you is telling you like, no, you don't have that many choices. Like, just keep your head down and push through and accept what you get and don't rock the boat. And I thought, yeah, I might not have a lot of options, but I'm going to take every single good one I can get. And I just start saving money like $5 at a time, $5 at a time. Like I got jobs and I saved money and I moved out when I was 19. And when I was 18, I had $8,000 by the time I graduated high school. And I bought a $5,000 camper that was mine and it was my own. And I moved into my camper and I went to college and that's where I lived. And I loved it. I loved that space. I loved that it was all mine. I loved that it was safe. I loved that I owned it. And nobody could take it away from me. Mm. And so that flashpoint you had as a little girl, for a lot of people, they also have a realization that they want more out of their life. And maybe it hasn't happened. Like it happens to the point for some people where it's not enough to cause them to change or act. But I feel like it's happened for a lot of people and they just don't know it yet or they don't know what to do next. Yeah. Uh, so how for people who are like, you know what, I felt I feel the same way. Like, I know that I want more for my life and I don't want to be stuck anymore. And I want to eventually reach a point where I have the options. What do they do? What are the next steps? So what do, I mean, I know for you, it was saving and taking back control and doing the best you could. But what can someone right now listening be like, what do I do next? I think the best first step is to gain a little bit more clarity, to be really specific I wrote in a guest post for J.R. Collins, like I knew that I wouldn't be able to have every luxury. I wouldn't be able to have every opportunity. So I had to be really, really specific on which ones I wanted because I wasn't going to be able to have all of it, at least not right away. And so gaining that clarity, one of the exercises I love to have people do when I work with them one-on-one is what's your ideal day? What's your ideal week? What's your ideal year? Like if you got to write this from scratch, what would it look like? How much sleep do you get? How long do you work? Do you work four hours or five hours or 10 hours? What kind of works do you do? How do you spend time with your friends? How do you recreate? How do you enjoy time with your family and in your home? What does that look like? Once you know where you're going, the next step makes a little bit more sense. There's probably stuff you could start doing right now, like today, that would get you closer to your ideal day. I have a lot of people who say, in the perfect world, I would love to work out for an hour a day. And I was like, okay, so what are you doing right now? And they're like, well, I can't right now. I can't work out an hour a day. I was like, okay, but what can you do like right now? Because when we adopted, we adopted a sibling group of three and my life was crazy. We're going to talk about that later. But it was so maxed out and I knew I wanted to take care of myself. I just didn't, I didn't have any time. I didn't have any bandwidth. So I started exercising six minutes a day. And I wrote it on my whiteboard. I would keep little dashes. And a friend came over and he was like, wait, you you exercise for six minutes? I'm like, dude, that's all I got. I got six minutes. And he was like, wait, you, you keep track of them. You don't do them consecutively? And I was like, no, I have a one-year-old. I have a two-year-old. I have a four-year-old. I have a five-year-old. I don't have six minutes all together, buddy. 
I got one minute at a time, hopefully six times during the day. Basically, you do the best you can do, and it doesn't have to be the biggest thing. It just needs to be the next thing. It needs to be something, some progress, It's even if it's small. Yeah, yeah. Just learning what it is you want and start making some steps because then it becomes the path just becomes a lot more clear of what are the high leverage things that can move you closer to that ideal. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you go off to college. What did you study in college? (laughs) So the first time I did kind of like biblical studies, eventually I went back and did like human resources and management. I never finished either degree. I realized like I'm a compulsive learner. Like I just love learning and studying Learning on someone else's schedule apparently is not my cup of tea. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. So when you, so you got married at 19, what did you do? So fast forward, you've been able to do a lot with money, but how did you start? Like, where did you start in your career? What did your husband do? How, what were your life like in your twenties in order to build up your finances? Yeah. So we didn't start in a fantastic place financially. I, unbeknownst to me, actually had $10,000 of medical debt from, I'd been hospitalized when I was in high school, but I had just turned 18. So that was in my social security number, but I didn't know about it. I actually didn't learn about it till like four or five years later. My husband, on the other hand, had about 10000 of credit card debt and $35,000 of student loans. He got his degree in social services ministries, also not a fantastic earning degree. So he has a ton of debt and low earning potential. I just assumed, I think growing up in like a small town and kind of in poverty, I was just like, well, I'm just not going to make a lot of money. That's just my life. The only thing I could contribute it to is maybe just my childhood and my family experience. I thought, it's just not in the cards for me. It actually took probably a decade for me to slowly reverse that thinking to be like, wait a minute, I'm actually like hardworking and smart and capable. Like, why not me? So we got married and we had all of this debt and we had decided, what if we try to live on one income just in case when we have kids in the future and make it more flexible, like that'll help us pay down this debt. That'll help us start saving. So that was our first goal, just to live on one income and save essentially then half of our income. Do you remember how much you were like saving at that time? Because you would, so your first step was to, I'm assuming, get out of debt and then you tipped the scale the other way and started saving. So how about like how, how long did it take you to get out of that debt? So my husband joined the military after college and they took care of a student loan debt. And so he went off to basic training and we saved. I moved in with my parents in their basement for six months while he was off doing that. And so Really, by the time you finished basic and AIT and we got settled, we were able to finish paying off that credit card debt. And we found out a medical debt about a year later and we got that paid off. So it took about the first two years to to pay off all of the debt. And then he was in the army and, you know, making twenty, twenty-five, maybe thirty thousand dollars a year. I got a job at Starbucks and eventually got promoted. So I was making about thirty thousand dollars a year. So we were saving $30,000 a year. We were saving all of my income. And slowly we got to the point where we could save more and more of his income. As our incomes grew, we learned how to spend less. Mm -hmm. And then, so you got out of debt, you're saving now. Was there other things? So I know living in Montana, so it seems like you stayed in Montana. We actually met in Idaho. And then his first duty assignment was in the DC area. So we ended up living in Northern Virginia, which 
very high cost of living, but it worked out in our favor. We ended up renting a house and we got a roommate. It was one of the things that was really um, not actually challenging, but it seemed challenging because no one else wanted to do it. Because we were in our 20s, we actually had adopted our first son. We had our first biological child. So we were trying to be like real adults. 24 years old, two kids at home, in a house, and we have a roommate. But because we were renting, he chipped in like 700 bucks a month, and that was tax-free. It was just one more thing that really helped over the course of three years. It was a large chunk of change. Right, right. And then eventually you guys were able to buy a home cash. And so I want to talk a little bit about that because that I know was like a major like point and like financial point in your life. And you talk about this in your blog, like you intentionally went for the worst, crappiest home. And you could have afforded more because by then you had saved up enough, but you decided what? Yeah. So because we were saving over half of our income, by the time I hit 24, we had saved that first 100000 Then my husband got a duty assignment overseas. So we got to live in Germany for four years that we kept saving and the money grew. We had invested really close to the bottom of the market. So the market wins definitely helped us out over those four years. But when we came back to the States, we had about $225,000. Was that mostly in cash, like taxable accounts, or were you investing in like retirement accounts? It was mostly in taxable accounts because we had saved it specifically to try to buy a house with cash. So a little bit of it was in like a Roth IRAs and things like that, but we had never invested a lot in 401ks or anything, anything like that. And I'm assuming like, cause you went overseas, a lot of that, those expenses, those living expenses were covered by the army. Yeah. We lived in on-base housing overseas. Um, it was kind of like, I joked that it was like a really nice ghetto. Because it was just these really long, it was like, it's government housing. It's like these, it was like the projects, like really long apartment buildings, just one after another, after another, after another with like little playgrounds in between. But it was really, it was, I loved it. I loved it. I loved the community. I loved the closeness of everyone. Like having all of my friends within a three block walking distance was fantastic. So yeah, we kept saving. We traveled a lot while we were there too, because that was one of my really big goals. I ended up seeing 27 countries while we lived overseas. So we came back and we had this cash. And at the time, the market was pretty low in our area. And so we could have bought a really nice house for $200,000. We actually could have bought a really nice house for $100,000. We bought the ugliest house on the market, the ugliest house that would fit the family we wanted to have. Mm-hmm. And by then, how big how big was your family at that point? We just had one at home. He was four at the time, but I knew that we wanted to adopt again. Like that was part of part of our plan. And this time, we were going to try to adopt a sibling group. So it had the potential for four bedrooms, and it was about sixteen hundred square feet. And it was covered. It had flooded. It had been a foreclosure and it had flooded. And someone had actually put an offer in but backed out because black mold had overtaken the basement. It was growing up the stairs. Oh, my gosh. I know. My, one of my relatives came over to see it before we closed. And she was like, oh, oh, sweetie, you, re- you can't live here. This is not habitable. And we had no we had rented for 10 years. Like it had been my dream to buy a house, but we rented for 10 years. And so we had no construction skills. And Chip and Joanna Gaines were not there holding our hands. Like, right. <laughs> we, had no, we have no tools. 
We'd never done home improvement projects. And I was like, we got YouTube. We got YouTube to figure this out. And we gutted our house and rebuilt it. We paid $50,000 for it. And it took years to finish it, unfortunately. Apparently, when you do it yourself, it does not magically become beautiful in six weeks. Right. And what was your resolve to like do that? Because I don't know that I could have, and maybe I would have, but why did you stick to, I'm going to buy the cheapest, worst house so I can like keep more money? There again, it came back to, I really knew what this ideal life would look like. I knew what we really, really wanted. We couldn't have everything. We combined, we never earned six figures. We barely, I think hit one year, we might have hit 80 if you include all of the benefits. Um, We just had very modest incomes. And I really wanted to be able to adopt. I wanted to be able to have some financial freedom and some flexibility to make those things happen. And so I could have a nice house now, or I could have all of these other dreams. But I wasn't going to be able to get both right away. And I wasn't willing to compromise on these other dreams. I said, you know what, ugly house now. And we ended up using that extra money. We bought our first rental property, which we got a great deal on. We fixed that one up too. It created enough income that a year or two later, we were able to buy another rental property financed by the first one. And those rental properties are a big part of our passive income that if we hadn't made that one choice, we wouldn't be financially independent. Right. We wouldn't have been able to take two years off after we adopted our kids, like all of the things that are possible now, we just wouldn't have. Right. And it shows just like that step, that choice to sacrifice. And it's not even it's yeah, maybe it's sacrificing up front some things, but the payoff is even more worth it. And I want to read this this line that you have in one of your blog posts because I love it so much. You said, I need and want less than the average person because I need and want much more than the average person. And I love that. Can you talk about that a bit more, what that means? I feel like we have the ultimate luxury now. Our passive income covers all of our bills and expenses. So we have the total freedom and flexibility to kind of live life on our own terms. And that's such an incredible luxury. Like I don't have granite countertops, but we have the ability to structure our days and our life. And I live in Montana. It's been a little cloudy. So yesterday, my husband booked me a night in this resort that's local here. And I stayed by myself, which is just like as a mom to five kids. I'm like, oh, this is so sweet. And yesterday morning, I was sitting in the hot tub. They have this beautiful outdoor hot tub. And it's looking at the lake. And it's looking at the ski hill. And my husband and one of my kids were skiing that day. And I just thought, God, this is amazing. Like, this is perfect. And it's not financed by a credit card. And it's not hurting our retirement. And it's just extra. We wanted something that was really special. We we were able to adopt three kids that, man, nobody else had been able to take these kids. Um, They were a sibling group. And we were able to keep them together. And it just feels amazing like to have that freedom and that flexibility and to get everything that I really wanted and I just had to give up all the stuff I didn't really care about right how does one go about now deciding if they're just a little bit unsure about what it is that they really do care about because I feel like there's so much input and influence on us on what we should care about whether that's from our circle of influence from our parents from society How does one figure out what really matters to them and so they can let all the other crap go and focus on that? 
what really matters. Yeah. Another exercise I have people do, I took from a David Bach book. He calls it the be, have, do. And you list out all the things that you really want to be, the things that are central to your identity, all the things that you really want to have, all those material possessions. And I like to focus on the ones that really facilitate our best life. So like, I want to have a really nice backyard. I want to have a patio and a grill because I want my kids to play out there and I want to be able to have friends over and I want to be able to drink tea there in summer mornings while I read. I focus on the things that facilitate our best life and the things that you want to do. And when you kind of narrow that down, oftentimes all the marketing and all of the social pressure starts to fall away because it's not on your list. And then another exercise that I oftentimes combine with that is the quit list. You make a list of all the things that you're willing to quit for a short period of time or forever so that you have more time and energy and money to focus on the things that you really, really want to take ground on. So I either have people hit pause and just say, you know what, not right now. Like not right now. For the next three months, I'm not watching Netflix because I'm going to get this side hustle off the ground. For the next year, we're not eating out because we're going to pay off this credit card debt. Or there's things you can just eliminate. Like there's some stuff that just should not be in your life. And you can just get rid of it, some relationships, some habits, some hobbies that just don't fit anymore. And then there's things you just say, not now. Like, it's good and it's going to come eventually, but now's not the right season. For me, I've always been obsessed with, like, residential architecture. Like, I bought the ugly house, but houses are one of my things. Like, I just love architecture. And I just, I've always wanted to custom build a home. And we've been married 16 years. And for 16 years, I've said, you know what? Not yet. Not yet. Like now's not the right time. First, we want to travel. First, we want to adopt. First, we want to create financial freedom. First, we want that. This house is coming, but now's not the right time. And I see so many people sabotage their financial future because they get the timeline mixed up. Mm. They want to have the, the luxuries or the really nice car or the really nice house early but it just sabotages them for decades. And I'm like, you can get it, just not yet. Just be a little bit more patient. Yes, I love that. I love the whole concept of the timeline getting mixed up. And it's not that you can never have that thing you want or you'll never have it. It's just not yet. Yeah, Not yet, but still in the meantime, you can still create a really good life. Mm -hmm. And by delaying that gratification, which is like the big thing, it's like delaying gratification and then finding gratification where you are. It's such a like investment. It's almost like investing in whatever it is, like the stock market, index funds, whatever it is, like that small investment compounds over time. And so that small, quote unquote, delay of gratification leads to a bigger payoff in gratification in the future. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I love that. So you guys bought your house, you spent your time fixing it up. And then you both walked away. And, you know, so you helped me with the timeline. You both walked away from your jobs to live a life of financial independence. And we talk, we're talk. we going to talk about the flexibility that you guys have with that because I love how you say FI should be flexible. So talk about you making that decision and like kind of walking away from your traditional working careers to live the life you have now. Yeah, I had always been a really big fan of the idea of mini retirements. Our very first year of marriage, maybe because we were both like in biblical studies, I was like, honey, there's this thing called a Sabbath year. Like the Jews used to do this. It was a thing. Every seven years, they just took a year off. Like they took a year off. Like it's so crazy. But like, what if we did that? 
And he's like, oh, honey, like nobody actually does that. <laughs> That's crazy. And I was like, but what if we did? It would be really, really cool. And so we had taken a lot of little mini retirements, like a month, six months. And we had had a rough couple of years in not just difficulty, but like head down, pushing through. We had bought and renovated three houses. We had adopted three kids. We were both working full time. We were just tired, like just straight up tired. And I was like, and then I found out we were pregnant. And I was like, oh, honey, I cannot add a baby to this. I maxed out. There's no room left for a baby. I said, it's time to take a year off. I looked at the numbers and I was like, yeah, this is good enough. I think we have enough passive income to cover all of our bills. Let's take a year off and just see, see what we want to do. And it took, it took like six months to just decompress. Like the burnout some people feel like we felt is so real. There's not much you can do other than rest to recover from that. So we took some time to rest and then I started writing and we started pursuing interests and projects. Like once you get enough rest, it's like your brain starts to wake up to creativity and to possibilities and to opportunities that you were just too straight up tired to see before. We decided, you know, our ideal day, it involves like a couple hours of projects, a couple hours of work, a couple hours of feeling competent and successful in something. So let's build that thing, whatever that thing that I, I have an exercise I call, I call it the superpowers, like all those things that we're passionate about and it's in our skill set. We have a lot of knowledge about like, let's build a job around those things. And it's been three years. We stepped away from our job three years ago. We took about two years pretty much off to kind of build things on the side. And now we're doing work that we love that actually fits into our ideal day. It fits into our ideal year. You know, I'm going to, um, it's been snowy and cold here. So I was like, let's go to California for a few weeks. Let's go to Disney, take the kids to Disney. Let's do San Diego Zoo. Let's just take a few weeks to like rest and relax. That's part of our ideal year. Sometimes I work on projects. Sometimes we take off and we vacation. We did 10 weeks last summer. We hit 10 national parks with our kids in a pop-up camper. But it's finding the life that works for you. Everybody gets to write their own rules about what success looks like. What does a successful life look like? And some people aren't going to agree with you, and that's fine. Some people are going to criticize it, and that's fine. A lot of people aren't going to get it, and they don't have to. Success is winning by your own rules. Right, and I love that, winning by your own rules, because part of this too is that you don't have to subscribe to someone else's path and journey. So like for you, you talk about flexible fire and like the traditional fire movement involves you having to, and that traditional quote unquote, no one's saying that this is traditional, but what's mostly talked about is, okay, you grind out, you work hard for maybe, you know, 10, 15, 20 years, however long it's going to take you to reach this magic number. Then, you know, you're paying off debt, you're investing, being aggressive. And then you can live the life of your dreams. And I say, and you say, because you're you you know you're doing it, is that, no, there's a way to live the life of your dreams now while pursuing financial independence. And it doesn't mean that you'll never work again. It just means you're going to now have the options to work doing the things you love. So can you talk a little bit more about the flexible fire concept and why this then, I think, allows more people to get on board with the idea? Yeah, I think most people like doing stuff. There's sometimes a disconnect 
and they think of a fire as like you're going to do a whole bunch of stuff and you're going to be exhausted and then you're going to do nothing. But most people find enjoyment and meaning from doing stuff. And most people like earning money. So I encourage people, it's kind of like choose your own adventure. Like you get to pull together all of these different pieces. Like maybe you have some investments. Maybe you keep some low expenses. Maybe you have some side incomes or a business or rentals. And you just get to kind of piecemeal it all together. It doesn't have to be all one thing. Even with your income, you know, being entrepreneurs there, sometimes it's just a mixed bag. Sometimes we're like 100% entrepreneur. Sometimes we're freelancer. Sometimes we're consultant. Sometimes we're employee. Like, you don't have to be just one thing all of the time. And oftentimes people don't realize there's a huge span of things between nine to five employee and entrepreneur. Man, we've got a lot of like consistent freelancers. We've got a lot of one-off freelancers. We've got people that we collaborate with. We have people that we partner with in different ways. You don't have to just say there's only this one path. Like I'm just an employee or I'm just self-employed because people don't want to be self-employed. It kind of stinks when you have to think of all the ideas and everything's your fault. Um, sometimes it's nice to work with other people. Yeah, like that doesn't have to like the only path. Like I always say this because I also have a close friend who like she helps coach people through like their career and helps people earn a lot of money working for someone, but they love their career. So I'm like, you know, if you're on this path, it doesn't mean you have to hate like your corporate career or working for someone else. Like sometimes, like especially now that I'm doing this full time, there's benefits and disadvantages to both sides. It's like the coin. Nothing is perfect. So it doesn't matter, like whatever brings you joy, having that security of that nine to five check, you know, knowing exactly what you need to do that you can log off at the end of the day and not to care about it until the next day. That's a different type of life than being like an entrepreneur, where it's like you're on almost like all the time, depending on how you set up yourself. So but you choose like you choose what works for you when you create the life that you want. So I think it's really helpful that we're talking through this. One of the things I did want to touch upon with you, because you do have a large family, is just like managing that. So I read this. You went from one to five kids in less than two years, which is crazy. Still on this path, being so smart and diligent with your finances and then adding kids to the mix. And then not only that, right, but you have a blog, your mom of so many littles, your wife. That's a lot. So yeah, how are you juggling all that? How are you keeping track of finances with so many kids? Like, let's talk about that a bit. The finances with kids I would say, is actually the easiest part we kind of start our budget from zero. You know, we assume like, we don't have to spend any money this month. And then everything that we decide to buy is just adding in. It's just additional, like, oh, look, look, there's an electric bill. Yeah, I guess we'll pay that. And so I don't really subscribe to like, here's how much stuff or here's the one right way that we have to spend money on kids or we have to raise kids. It's actually pretty simple. And we're fairly minimalist, kind of with that quit list. One of the things that we decided to quit, I quit picking up toys. I don't know how many other moms have little kids. Like It used to be a big part of my life and my day. I spent 10 minutes, four or five times a day picking up toys or trying to nag my children to pick up toys, which takes just as much time and a ton of emotional effort to convince small humans to take care of their things. And it just was not my most fun way of interacting with my kids. And so we got rid of a whole bunch of the toys and all of the toys. We actually, what we did to our kids, this was a little sneaky. 
I didn't make them clean their rooms for about three weeks. And I just let the chaos build up till it was unmanageable. And I said, okay, buddy, I think, I think mom's made a mistake. Like, I think I've, I've put more things in your room. I've given you more things than you can actually like take care of and manage. Um, and that's my fault because I'm the parent. So what I'm going to have you do, just pick up and organize as much as you can. And I'm going to take care of the rest. And all of my kids, despite their ages, could take care of about three things. And I said, okay, perfect. Those three things. I'll take the rest of this. I'm going to put it on a shelf downstairs. And when you want to swap one of these toys, just let me know and we'll go swap it. But if you think you can take care of these three toys in your room, then that's, then that's awesome. And that's what we did. And it was very like low stress, low conflict. And now they actually each keep about one toy because turns out they hated picking up toys too. They didn't like the mess and the overwhelm and the clutter any more than I did. Mm. And I don't pick up toys now. Like I just, it's such a, for people who don't have kids, like this may feel like a very mundane thing, but man, as a mom of five, it is radical that I don't pick up toys. Well, as you're talking, so I'm just like, you know, I need to do that because Christmas just, we always get stuff for them. And then it's just too much. So I get it. And like, I love like the ownership of it. It's like, it's on us. Like we gave you too much. It's not your fault. It's like, we're giving you more than you can handle. And on top of that, you know, in my head, and I'm sure a lot of parents is like, okay, we give them a lot. So they have a lot to choose from. And so therefore they're not going to be bored. They're going to leave me alone. Does that ever happen? No, because it never fails that it's almost like they have so much that they can't focus. They can't choose what they want to play with. And so then it leads to more nagging and whining and fighting. So you mentioned this in one of your blog posts. Well, the one that you describe how you did this process, which I'll link in the show notes for this episode, is that like your kids are not fighting as much. They become way more creative and you're able to save money. I'm sure of it. Like, you know, just end time, which is like, valuable more than money because you can't get that back. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's made a huge difference. I was really surprised at how differently my kids played with toys after we got rid of so many because the rooms looked like normal rooms. It was just piles. It was piles and buckets and containers full of toys. And oftentimes the toys were not organized correctly. So like if they want to play with matchbox cars, they weren't all neatly in one little bin. They were spread out amongst the 12 bins. And it created almost like a false ADHD because they would play with something for a few seconds and then see something else and then go over to the other thing and play with it for a few seconds and then see something else. And it was just overwhelming. They couldn't sit down and focus and work in their little play work for extended periods of time because there was just so much else going on. And I think sometimes we can feel that way in our office and at our desk and, you know, in our homes, when there's so much stuff, we can't really see what we have. We don't really know what we have. And it's just constant distraction, getting pulled from one thing to another thing to another thing. It just changed a lot for them. And it was all so beneficial. And just my relationship with them, like, I can be like, hey, okay, it's cleanup time. And they all have like one or two toys to clean up. And so it takes them like three minutes and they're done. And we get to move on with our life. Like we get to read books together and we get to do projects together because we have the time, but also the emotional energy. That is mom. Sometimes we're just tired. Like we have the time, but like anyone who has like a bedtime routine with their kids, 
we're like, we do three stories and a song and a check in. <laughs> and then there's days where you're like, oh my gosh, I'm just too tired to do it. Can we just like not tonight? Is that okay? Like, can we just skip? Like we have the time, but we're just tired. Right. Straining. Mm-hmm. So having that energy back where I stole it from something that we did, neither of us enjoyed arguing about cleaning. And I could put it into like the sweet reading time and the tuck-in time. And one of my girls loves for me. I do three things at night where I tell her three things I love about her. And it's like her favorite. It takes like three minutes, maybe. But just having that emotional energy to have that special little moment before bed is what makes being a mom of five like kind of nice. Right, right. And, you know, I love that and how it relates to simplifying your overall life, how you could relate it to your own, you know, not just your children, but just yourself and your working environment. And then how that like takes a lot of pressure off like the mental gymnastics that we do day in, day out, or just that shadow work. So sometimes we have all this clutter, you know, maybe we kind of push it away, but it's still there. There's a lot of clutter in our brain that clouds our vision and our thinking and you know, so there's so many things we want to do. We're talking about, you know, finding our passion and finding our ideal day, week and year. But it's hard to do that when there's so much clutter. Like we, there's so much things to check off that we don't even have time to play around in the possibilities of our life. So I think this is like wonderful, like tips for parents and just even non-parents. Just like to think about what's cluttering your life. What are the things that you can, like you said, stop doing, put on pause, quit. Like you choose. For example, like it's your house. Like you can make the rules in terms of, if it's three toys, five toys, like you can do that just because, you know, someone else's house has a million toys doesn't mean that you need to also, right? Yeah. Okay. You convinced me. I'm going to like try this with my kids for sure. Uh, we'll see how that goes. <laughs> I'll keep you posted. But do you have any last like parting words, advice for anyone who's just like, yeah, I, I feel so inspired by this. I'm like ready to like take this to the next level in terms of just um, my own like life, taking ownership and then like, figuring out what I want to do next and reaching this place of the financial freedom you've reached. Is there like one, like some advice or a tip, the next step that they should do like right after listening to this episode? I have like a a free 10 day course in the very last lesson, which is what I like to leave people with is could, should, or want. Cause there are so many things we could do. Like there's so many things we could do. And there's so many things that we probably should do. And marketing and our friends and our family and our culture are all telling us all the things that we should be doing. But then there's this other list of things we actually want to do. And I think it's really important when you want to step out and try to make progress and make change in your life that you focus first on that list of things you really want to do. Because we take so much more ground and we make so much more progress on the things that you want to do. I know a lot of people start with that should list. Like I should start taking vitamins. I should start working out and I should like fix my wardrobe and I should weed my garden. Like there's all these things we should do, but I I liken it to reading books. Sometimes there's books I should read. They take me forever to get through, but then every once in a while I find a book I really want to read and I read that in like two days flat and I think about it and I meditate on it and I like absorb it into my DNA and I talk about it because I'm so excited about it. Your want list should be like those books that you love to read because you're just going to read them so much faster and you're going to get so much more from them. Just start on your want list. Not that you have to do everything, but if there's 20 things on there, pick the one that you're like, this is high leverage. This is doable. This is where I'm going to start because you're going to make four times the progress and it's going to be easier. 
then all the stuff that everybody is telling you you should do. Right. And you're going to ride that wave of energy to propel you to the next thing. Yeah. Okay. Jillian, let everyone know. So I'll link your free course in the show notes for this, but tell everyone where they can find you and learn more about your story. Yeah, Montana Money Adventures, the free 10-day course. It's such a great way to start thinking through all of this. Um, I tried to make it really easy. The videos are like five to 10 minutes, like one worksheet. By the end, you'll have a lot of clarity on what those next steps are to today start living your best life. And hopefully in five years or 10 years, you'll have made so much more progress than you ever thought possible. Like that is my life. I made so much more progress than I ever thought was possible. I hit 32 and I was like, shoot, I kind of did it. Like that was my entire list of what I wanted out of life. Like time to write a new list. Right, right. This is awesome. Thanks so much, Jillian. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, really hope you enjoyed that talk with Jillian. I gained a lot from it. I mean, I just love talking to people who actually have accomplished financial freedom and independence. Now, there are many stages to financial freedom. You can reach it at different levels, paying off debt, reaching a certain level of investments. But I really love when I can talk to someone who is in a similar situation, meaning they have kids, they have a partner on this journey. And I love the fact that I could relate to Jillian on that. So hopefully you guys found some commonalities with Jillian too that you can relate to. I particularly liked her idea of with the kids, allowing them to only have one or two toys at once, which basically helps around the house. And then the kids also focus on playing at one thing at a time. So I actually still have to implement that in my house. We're working towards that, but I really love that idea. So let me know what stood out for you what made your wheel start spinning if you're going to implement anything that you got inspired by on this episode you know i love when you guys get inspired but i want you to take action so let me know what you guys intend to do and as usual as i always say share with me what you thought at journey to launch on instagram twitter and facebook and continue to share this out with your family and friends friendly reminder that the launch club a membership community for journeyers just like yourself looking to take what they're learning here to the next level. Doors are closed right now for the membership, but they will be reopening in July. So I want you to get on that wait list so you can get early, early access to what's going on. Go to journeytolaunch.com slash launch club to get on that list. And if you want any of the episode show notes for this, go to journeytolaunch.com slash episode 96. That's where you can get more links to find out more about Jillian and check her out. All right, journeyers. Until next week, keep on journeying, journeyers. Journeyers.